tonight's Bible reading is from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. To the, church of the, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither, hot, nor, neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, good evening again. Please do keep that open in front of you. If you have it, we will be charging through it uh, together. Before we do, though, I'm going to pray. So please do pray with me. Our good and our gracious God, uh, we thank you so much that you do love us, uh, that even though you rebuke us, you do it with a heart of love. And thank you for your word. We pray that as we come to it together, that you will speak clearly, you will speak powerfully through me, that I will say your words, and by your Holy Spirit, you'll be doing a work in all of us here in the room and across the screen. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you've heard, this, I think this is the fourth time tonight. Uh, this is the final sermon in the series in Revelation. And so it's kind of the, the season final. And so you're all excited for season finals. They get to go double the length, right? We're keen, yeah? Disappointing. That's okay. But this is the, the final stop in our journey together. And if you haven't been with us, we've been journeying through the, the seven letters that Jesus has given to these seven churches. And we're at the seventh, the church of Laodicea. Now, these reports, as Austin was mentioning, have been fairly varied that Jesus has given. Some are really glowing and positive. Some Jesus is quite harsh and gives a, a rebuke. And some are quite a mixed bag. Now, I don't know how you felt as we've gone through them. Uh, maybe the Holy Spirit was doing a work in your, in your heart, whatever it may be. Some things have been quite affirming. Uh, some things have been quite challenging. Laodicea is both. In some ways, it's kind of the, really the harshest rebuke of all the seven, and yet it's this really warm, inviting invitation. Now, before charging into the letter itself, um, we like to explore the city, or whoever it is that Jesus is writing to. Now, in this case, Laodicea, um, in every letter, there's always something that's important. In Laodicea, it's like everywhere. The culture, the, the, the center of that city is throughout this whole letter. So we'll dip into it as we go, but I just want to give you the highlights at this point. So Laodicea, very proud, very prosperous kind of uh, city. Um, there's a, a lot of trade and banking in this city, lots of wealth. There's like an east-west trade route, a north-south uh, trade route. Laodicea is right in the middle. There's lots of agriculture around. Lots of people who are wealthy have come to the city. So if we're kind of, you know, being a bit casual in how we relate to places of Sydney, if Pergamon was like the, the centre of Sydney, 
uh, Thyatira was out at Lithgow and um, the other church, I've forgotten their name now. Someone. Now I want to know. I've forgotten. This, the, the, the one that's... Uh, anyway, one of them was like um, the rocks. I stuffed that up completely. I'm very sorry. <laughs> this church, though, I do know this one. This one is like barrel, okay? People of wealth, they go down there. There's a bit of agriculture around. It's got a bit of a reputation. That's kind of like Laodicea. But this church, uh, it seems to have copied the culture of the city. There's lots of things about the church which, which map and uh, are very similar. They're, kind of, they're quite materially blessed, and they feel like it's a really happening place, this church. Things are going on there. They feel like they're on a roll. Um, it, it's going good from the outside. It's kind of a bit like Western middle-class churches in the world. It looks like it's going good. Good news. But that's what they think. They think it's going to be good news. Uh, and if they had the privilege of looking all through these uh, six letters before them, they're expecting a good report. And so Jesus gives it, uh, starts his report. Now, as we're used to, Jesus, uh, he addresses himself, or addresses them uh, in a particular way. And in verse 14, we get the ones that he says to Laodicea. He says, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now, in some sense, that's fairly self-explanatory. Jesus is the ruler. He's the divine king. He's faithful and he's true. The things that he says, they come to pass. You can have complete confidence in who he is. He is the divine ruler. Picture of power, right? So if you're the later scenes and you're like, well, Jesus is on our side, this is looking like a good thing. But it's not really exclusively good news uh, for later seer. Now, in the way that we've explored all the letters so far, we've kind of followed as a general rule that performance review criteria. They're the encouragement, the rebuke, the warning, the thing to change, the promise. That's how we've done it. This one I want to do slightly differently. It's kind of in two halves. Jesus, he talks about the heart and the actions of Laodicea, and then he, he talks about his own heart and his own actions to the church of Laodicea in those kind of two halves. And that's the way that we're going to attack it together. And so he starts in verse 15, as he always does. I know your deeds. They are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Like, that is not a pleasant image at all. Like to any person, that is a kick in the guts, right? But to this church that's going to think they're on a roll, they think they're in a good spot, this is particularly stinging rebuke. Jesus says that they have a lukewarm faith, like it's room temperature, it's tepid. It's neither hot, it's not cold. Like he wants to spit them out. Now, I don't know about you what kind of image that creates for you or what you kind of think the general interpretation of that is um, if you haven't heard it before or like when i read it the first time it kind of sounds like jesus wants them to be like on fire for him or like not at all against him it kind of sounds like that your, your fence sitters later say be one or the other but that's not what's going on here 
Uh, that doesn't really sound like the character of Jesus. He doesn't want people to be against him. He has a heart that all people can be saved, that all people will come to him. Uh, so there must be something else going on here. And he also seems to say that hot and cold are desirable. Hot and cold are good things, but the lukewarm is what's bad. The way to understand this well is knowing what's going on in the city. So as I was saying, there's particular things about the city which are really important, and the water supply is maybe the most. So Laodicea didn't have a water supply uh, of its own. It had to get it piped in, and you can see a picture of the aqueduct there. And it got it from two sources. The first one was from Colossae, which is, Paul wrote a letter to the um, Colossians. That's what that city's about. Anyway, they had really cold, crisp, clear, lovely drinking water. To steal Tim McBride's quote, they're like the, the Mount Franklin of the ancient world. Right? That's uh, Colossae's water. The second place they got their supplier from was Heropolis. And that place had really hot water, hot springs, right? Wonderful places to bathe in and rejuvenate your body. Kind of like if you've had a really long, hard week here, whatever it may be, and you get in a bath with the salts and you're sitting there and just relax, right? That kind of good image of hot water. That's Heropolis. But by the time the water gets to Laodicea from all those kilometers away, the water's lukewarm. And it gets through the aqueducts and it's filled with lime and sediments and, and all sorts of things which make it yuck. So if you were to drink the water at Laodicea straight like that, you want to spit it out. Lukewarm, contaminated water. If we're going to put it in like our kind of understanding, it's a bit like coffee. People love coffee, right? Yeah? Come on, Rowan, I know you do. Thank you, mate. But with coffee, right, and as a general rule, you can have it hot, uh, preferably a cappuccino with chocolate on top, or you can have an iced coffee, right? Now, I know if you're a coffee connoisseur, there's lots of variations, but you bear with me here. Hot coffee or iced coffee. But if it's lukewarm, and particularly if you add salt to it, yuck, right? You want to spit it out. Jesus is saying, Laodicea, you're like that. You are lukewarm. You are like lukewarm salted coffee that I want to spit out of my mouth. Useless, disgusting, like good for nothing. Their faith is not achieving any kind of purpose. The cold water, the hot water achieves a purpose, but their faith is not. Jesus is saying, yeah, I see your deeds later, seer. I see your ministry. I see your gatherings. I see the way you live your life in the city. And it's certainly not displaying me. That's a harsh rebuke. And in verse 17, he, he cuts right to the heart of things, um, to the real issue of what's going on. And he says, just to repeat it, you say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, poor, blind, and naked. But it, it's brutal. Rich, a self-reliant church. Think they're glorious, but they're really not. Are any of you familiar with the children's story at the Emperor's New Clothes? Couple? Yeah, that's good. Uh, if you haven't, it's a, it's a children's story from almost 150 years ago now. But the, the plot goes that there's this emperor uh, who gets approached by some swindlers who pose as weavers. And the weavers say, oh, we're going to produce this wonderful garment for you that's going to be glorious and majestic, but only those who are wise are going to be able to see it. 
Those who are fools can't see uh, whatever you're wearing. It's invisible to them. And the emperor thinks, oh, yeah, this is a wonderful idea. I'll go with that. And so they fake make the, the garment. They put it on him, and he parades around the street. And as he parades around the street in the nude, eventually the people are like, that guy's wearing no clothes. Jesus is saying, that's like you, Laodicea. You are like the emperor with no clothes on, exposing uh, their nakedness. They th- he thinks that he was grand and glorious and dressed in splendor, but really pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Rich in the eyes of the world, but spiritually poor. The riches and comforts and the ability for them to provide for themselves, that's actually turned them away from Jesus. That's turned them uh, to things of the city to be their ultimate source. They become lukewarm in their faith, kind of claiming Jesus with their words, but not living for him, not dependent on him, doing it all in their own strength. Now that is a really stinging rebuke especially for, for those of us that have some kind of wealth, like some kind of ability in some way to be self-sufficient in life, like to get a job or a mortgage or a house, progress in your career, right? Good things, not wonderful things, indeed necessary, but there's a dark side to those things too if they go unchecked because the desire and, and even the, the attainment of worldly riches can dull our faith. When we think that we can become self-sufficient and we don't include or pursue God, our material abundance can, if we are unaware, become a source of spiritual poverty, as it did in Laodicea. Now, that is a strong warning to a church that has some form of wealth, isn't it? Prosperity and the ability to provide can make us blind rich in the eyes of the world, but spiritually poor, meaning that we act in a way that's self-sufficient outside God. It can also be other things in the way that we become self-sufficient or, or think that we are in terms of our talents or our skills or our abilities. Like even take church ministry as like just a quick example. Jesus is rebuking Laodicea because they're not living out kingdom work. They're looking like they're doing it, but they're not actually living it out. They're focused on their own resources, completely reliant on the way that they can lead and serve others themselves. That, that could be us. could be you. It's been me in the past. And I think that there's a number of ways for us to, to assess this. You can you know, reflect on your own life. You can ask a trusted friend uh, uh, who can help you along the way. But let me suggest one kind of real tangible indicator, and that is your prayer life. Does your prayer life demonstrate or indicate that you're reliant on God? Because there's lots of aspects to prayer, right? Heaps. Our relationship with God, expressing it, enjoying it, all these kind of things. But one significant thing is that when we pray, we are indirectly saying that, God, we're relying on you. There's something that we can't do that only you can do. Uh, Something that we are asking him to intervene on or to give us provision for. So what does your prayer life say about your dependence on God? Like I know for myself, I've been working hard at at times. Uh, I can be working hard for him. But prayer can be an afterthought 
or it could be just a quick thing or something I don't even think about at all. And that's not really an active defiance of me saying, God, I'm better than you or something like that. But it's a passive way of me demonstrating I think that I'm self-sufficient. Saying, I can do it myself. I can labor on. I don't need God's hand. I don't need God's blessing. Being self-sufficient. But when we pray, that is expressing and, and demonstrating, asking, showing our dependence and our need on God. Declaring that we're not self-sufficient. So prayer is 100% necessary if we want to see the kingdom of God at work. And it's also a good indicator to determine whether or not we are being self-sufficient or if we're being God-dependent. And that's Laodicea. That's the heart and the actions of that church. Ignoring Christ, finding their riches and joy in things of the world, becoming self-sufficient. So what's Jesus' response? What's Jesus, how's he going to respond to this church? What's going to be his heart and his actions? Like when we have something that's useless, uh, something that's no good, we chuck it out, we get another one. My microwave that was here two weeks ago, you chuck it out, get another one. That's what we do with things like that. But what's the character of Jesus? This is his response, verse 18. I will counsel you to buy gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and wear clothes and white clothes to wear so to cover your nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love are rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Like that is a beautiful picture, isn't it? That is a wonderful picture of who our God is. Jesus, he doesn't treat Laodicea how they've treated him. No, he treats them as he's loved, his treasured people, as a powerful king, of course, yes, but one is, who is completely compassionate. And there was three things there that uh, Jesus specifically mentioned about his heart and actions. The offer of true riches, uh, his rebuke comes because he loves them. There's an invitation to fellowship. They're the three things, and so we'll... we'll unpack them together the first one is the offer of true riches jesus right he's called them before he's called them out and said you were like the emperor with new clothes no clothes on at all but he doesn't do that because he wants to laugh at them he doesn't do that because he wants to scoff at them he does that because he wants to highlight their need highlight uh, that there's that they need something to change to turn back to him and he can offer them something greater now, Jesus, in verse 18, he counseled them to buy three things. Uh, and to put it in, or he puts it actually in language that makes sense to them, to their city. So to a city that's like full of banking and wealth and trade, gold, he says, no, in Christ, in me, you can find true riches, perfect gold, refined in the fire. To a city which has a prestigious industry of black wool, that was what was going on in the agriculture around. Christ says, oh, I can give you something greater, pure, white, glorious clothes. And to a city which is known for its medicine, particularly for the eye, soothing the eye, fixing some of the ailments that can happen there, Jesus says, I can actually make you see clearly, see properly. Now, of course, these things are all spiritual realities because in worldly terms, they have money, they have clothes, uh, they have, uh, they're, they're able to see. Yet Jesus is saying they are completely spiritually bankrupt. 
They are naked, they are blind. But by his grace, he's going to give them uh, the ability to have these things, all that he can give them, not what the city can. See, the later scenes, they thought they had it all. But the things that they loved the most, they were actually just poor substitutes. And this is an invitation to discover true riches in Jesus. Because the things of this world, right, they're appealing, they're attractive, they're good. In some parts, we definitely need them. But they don't meet our deepest needs. The true riches come from Christ, not from the city. That brings us to the second aspect of Jesus' character. And the second aspect actually helps us to understand all the rebukes that go on in these, in these letters and to all, really, really throughout the, all of Scripture. And that when Christ, when God rebukes his people, it's because he loves his people. He loves them desperately. That's why he, he re- calls them to repent. He's willing and desiring them to change their ways. Like how you think about a good teacher or like a parent. Right? I'm blessed to um, have two little gorgeous girls who are also incredibly stubborn. And so in our family life at the moment, uh, discipline has become, a, unfortunately, a regular part of our family life. But I don't discipline them because I get a kick out of it or I enjoy it. They certainly don't enjoy it either. But I discipline my kids because I love them. I want what's best for them. I want them to grow to be all they can be all that God has intended. And we need to remember this is how God treats us, how God treats his children. But not as like a parent like me. I've stuffed up, I fail. I'm no way a perfect parent at all. But God is perfect in his discipline, perfect in his loving, good at all times. He wants what's best for us. And we need to remember that when it comes to God's discipline. When we we read it here, when we sense the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart, we need to remember that it comes from a place of love and ultimately for our good. And then that brings us to the third thing. Verse 20. For those who know Colin Buchanan. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. There's not a great deal of explanation that needs to happen here, right? We know when you come over to dinner with someone, especially in the ancient world, that was a sign of, you know, you want genuine relationship. You want intimacy in, in a relationship with that person. Jesus is saying, I want you. Church, I want to have relationship with you. Jesus, he wants to have relationship with us. That is his heart. That is his desire. In the preparation this week, I came across this picture and it might be a little bit hard to see on the screen. Well, you can kind of, kind of make it out. It's called Light of the World. It's painted by a guy named William Hunt in 1853. And this image actually picks up a, what's well, called Light of the World. So it picks up a lot of uh, the language in John's Gospel, but particularly this verse here in Revelation 3.20. Now, I'm not much of an art critic, but um, what is it that you see when you look at that picture? Let me point out a few things for you. Jesus is obviously a king. He comes with his robe, with his crown. He comes to a closed door, a peasant's home. We have a glorious king who's coming to what looks like a peasant's home. Humble, yet glorious. He comes at night 
symbolizing maybe the darkness that's going on inside of the person within, the church that is within. The door is covered with ivy, overgrown. Clearly, that door has not been opened for a long, long time. But there is Jesus knocking. There's no handle on the outside. Jesus doesn't barge in. He waits patiently and he knocks. And you just hear him say those words, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens up the door, he will come in and he will eat with that person and they with him. Friends, no matter how many weeds have grown up, no matter how much ivy has taken over the door of your life, no matter for how long, no matter how firmly we want to hold that door shut, Jesus is knocking, knocking at our door. And there might be doors of your heart in your life, whatever it may be, that uh, you want to remain shut, but Jesus is knocking, calling, desiring relationship with us, both individually and corporately as a church, to bring light, to bring transformation, to bring blessing into dark places. So friends, open the door to the voice of Jesus. Open up your heart, your mind, your soul, your life to him, the king. He's not a domineering, like powerful person that wants to oppress and abuse his power. He's a loving king that uses his power to bless, to show grace and kindness, to shower with spiritual blessings, to take us from death to life. That is our king. That is the blessing of who Christ is. He desperately, he deeply, he desires intimate relationship with us. But of course, relationship with anybody, it takes time to get to the, you know, the, the deep levels. And Jesus, he can come in and, and change our life. But to continue, we need to continue to cultivate, to meet with him. You know, the things of just investing in our walk with God, in our walk with Jesus. So please, can I encourage you individually and us as a church, continue to invest in our relationships with God. Those things like just the basic spiritual rhythms, which are hard to continue to do, the spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible reading, meeting with other Christians, continuing to serve other people, memorizing scripture, doing ministry together, worshiping God, Father, Son, and Spirit. These things which we experience God and also deepen our relationship with Him and will continue to grow deeper and deeper. But there's also something glorious to come when Jesus returns. When he comes again and the kingdom is consummated and uh, he ushers in the new heaven and the new earth. And that is where Jesus turns in his promise in verse 21. He addresses all those who are victorious, the ones that have turned from being lukewarm, uh, who have opened the door to Jesus. And he says this about them. To the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. This final promise is to share that Christ will share his reign with us. In many ways, it's similar to kind of many of the promises that have, he's given to all the churches. The promise that to turn back to him is worth it. It is worth it to remain in Christ. There is uh, things that are happening for the present moment, but also eternal pleasures and glory and relationship with God in its fullness that will come when he returns. Specifically here, it's that you're gonna, we're going to reign with Christ. He shares it with us. There's more than just blessing in the, in the short term. It's an eternal glory that is to come. Now, friends, this letter, of course, it is, a, it is a harsh, it is a cutting rebuke. 
But isn't the invitation warm? Isn't it delightful? This is our king. This is Jesus. He's calling us to embrace dependency on him and not self-sufficiency. We do have the most glorious, uh, gracious, loving Father and King. He meets us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Just as much as he calls out to those later Syrians 2,000 years ago, he continues to call out to us today, to us here at Naui Baptist Church. A, a call not to ultimately seek after the riches of the city that we live in, that are fading away, but to find our true riches in Christ. So friends, here in our life at Naui Baptist Church, that threat is going to be there of becoming self-reliant, the threat that makes us then self, uh, that makes us lukewarm in our faith. Things are going to turn our attention and our affections and our allegiance away from Christ. But for no matter how long or to how far, yeah, for how long you've turned away from Christ, he is knocking on the door of us both individually and as a church, inviting himself in to have deep, intimate, eternal relationship with us. So let me pray. Jesus, you are an amazing king. Uh, You are glorious, majestic, you're powerful, yet altogether compassionate and loving. And thank you so much that you stand at the door and you knock, that you invite yourself to have deep, intimate relationship with us, that we can find true, eternal, spiritual riches in you. God, we ask by the work of your Holy Spirit, you continue to transform our heart, continue to turn us to you and give us hearts that repent and find life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we've got to explore what are true riches. Uh, In Proverbs 11 verses 14 it says, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And where is it that we get this righteousness from? It comes from that relationship with Christ, accepting the offer as he knocks on our door. In Galatians 6 verse 14, it says, May I never boast except boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It's my prayer that you all can sing that my wealth is in the cross. Um, And we get this opportunity to sing that right now. So please, as a church, may we sing and sing joyfully that our wealth is not in ourselves or in worldly possessions, but it's in the cross.